Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, so we're in this series called The Thank Tank. Everybody say Thank Tank. We've been saying that you and I, all of us, are, are hypothetically speaking, we, we are, we are these, these, these reservoirs that we could either be filling our lives with thankfulness or, or spilling out in gratitude. We can either be filling ourselves with, with thanksgiving or we can be individuals who are complaining. And we've said this, that, that God's desire for us is that we would be people that don't spill but fill our lives with thankfulness right? We see this in Colossians chapter 2. This has been the passage that we've been launching from this entire series, but, but let's read this together one final time as we conclude this series. It says this, and now, just as you accepted, past tense, as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue a progression. You must continue to follow him. It's not a one and done. It's not a come to an altar, pray a prayer, you're all done, you're good. You get your voucher that says you, you can punch this when you die and you can get into heaven. No, it's a continuation, a continual process of following after Jesus. And this passage says this, continue to follow him. And, and he, he begins giving this illustration. He says, let your roots, that which sustains you, that's what, that what gives you life, that would firmly plant you in truth. Let your roots grow down deep into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith, everybody say then. As a result, in conclusion, as a condition, he says this, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. With thankfulness, God's design for you and I are to be people who are overflowing with thankfulness. Literally, this idea of overflowing is, is to spill over, to, to spill over. That means every single facet of life that we walk into, we are just spilling over thankfulness. And how do we do that? How many of you know sometimes thankfulness is easier said than done? Right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to be a thankful person. It's another thing entirely to say, I want to be a thankful person. So how, how, do, we, how do we overflow with thankfulness? Well, we said this. Yes, it's a, it's a response of knowing Jesus, growing into him. But there are specific behaviors and mindsets that we can adopt that will assist us in this process of overflowing thankfulness. And what are they? We've said this. The first one was praise. Right? God is deserving of praise in every season. No matter what you are walking through, no matter what you're navigating, God, if you know him, if you understand his character, if you know that he is always good, that he's good all the time, if you know this, if you know this about your God, you can be someone who praises him in every circumstance. That our praise is not going to be contingent on what is happening around us, but it is rooted in the person of God. It is rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in the person of Jesus. So, so God is worthy of praise all the time. That will help us increase our thankfulness, overflow in thankfulness. We've also said restraint. Learning to say no to some things so that you can say yes to God things. Learning that, that when God tells us to say no to certain behaviors or mindsets or, 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 or actions, that when we are saying no to those things, we're actually saying yes to something greater. That that's the way God has designed life. He's not some cosmic, tyrannical God who says, don't have fun or I'm going to throw some lightning bolts at you. No, he's like, listen, have fun, but the way that I have designed it will be better for you if you follow the way I've designed it. So we've said this, restraint is good. That helps us overflow in thankfulness. Contentment. Ooh, that's the hard one. Contentment. Learning to be content. We have defined contentment to mean this. An overwhelming satisfaction with what you already possess simply because you are already satisfied with who possesses you. When you have been captivated 
by God. When you come to the grips that the God of the universe loves you, cares for you, and that you are rooted in his hands, you learn to understand no matter what I have or what I lose, I'm content because I know God. You know, this is why when I went to Haiti and I saw children whose parents died in the horrific hurricanes and tsunamis that have just plastered that island, when I, when I could go to these orphanages, I, I see children not who are broken, but who are full of life, who are full of hope. And why is that? Because they have learned that contentment goes beyond their circumstances. And once they know Jesus, once they've been held by him, and they come to realize that, that he, is possess- he is my possession as well. I am his and he is mine. When, they, when you understand that, you learn to just overflow with thankfulness. So from contentment, we, let, we launched last week, we said encouragement. People who are content are good encouragers. We said encouragement is not just something we do. It is who we are. We are called to be encouragers. And we kind of illustrated it this way, to be a chin lifter, to come along someone and to, to lift their chin. If they, if they perform wrong or, or poorly, we, 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 don't, we don't care about their performance as, as much as we care about the person. So, so that in and of itself allows us to run alongside people and lift up their chin and say, hey, things are going to get better. Hey, hey, God, God is faithful still. Hey, God, God still loves you. He cares for you. Yeah, we could say, hey, you're performing wrongly. Or we can say, hey, you know what? Let, let's try to fix this together. To come to the side, to the shoulder of someone else, that is the heart of an encourager. And I'm here to tell you, as we conclude this this awesome series, that the final behavior, the final mindset is this. You ready for it? Generosity. Everybody say generosity. Generosity is is the quality of giving more than expected. It's, It's the quality of giving more than what is expected. And how many of you know that the opposite of generosity is taking more than you need? Right? The opposite of generosity is taking more than you need. It's, it's selfishness. But generosity is, is giving more than ex- expected. If someone has an expected need of this and you give above and beyond that, the, the, the difference between what was expected and what was given, that whole space there is generosity. God is calling us to be individuals who are generous. Amen? But here's something I'm convinced of. You and I, we weren't born generous. Do you know how I know this? Because ever since I've had kids, I am now a psychologist, and I perform different case studies, and I, and I survey results on, on every single one of my children, and every single one of them are different, but here's one thing that is an underlying factor. None of them were born generous. My, my youngest, Desmond, and it's something that grows as, as you get older, but my, my, my youngest son, Desmond, uh, he is a kid who his favorite words are, are these, I want some, right? Uh, does anybody else have that kind of kid? Like they hear a rapper, uh, not, not like Kanye West, but like a, a rapper to, to some candy or something, and they come running into the kitchen, I, wa- I want some. Well, well, Desmond is just like that. He doesn't even know what I'm grabbing. As soon as he hears someone's feet or someone opening a cabinet, he's running from the kitchen, running out of the potty. He, he don't even have to have a diaper on. He's running out. I want some. So, so one time, I'm cooking dinner, and, and I'm chopping up some onions, and, and Desmond hears me in the kitchen. Oh, and he runs, and he's, he's sprinting. And this kid, like, uh, just, just 
to give you some context, August, we, we took them all to the doctor. August is 35 pounds. Aubrey is 34 pounds. They're both four-year-olds. And then Desmond, our two-year-old, two years younger than his older brother and sister, he is 31 pounds. This kid is a, he's a tank. So he comes barreling into the kitchen, and it, probably because he says, I want some too much, but he comes running into the kitchen, Daddy, I want some. And I'm like, I'm like bro, I'm, I'm chopping up some onions. You don't want these things. You don't want these hands, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah I, I want some. And so I'm like, all right. So I give him an onion, and he's like, mm, just gives me this face. Like, it starts off good, and then, and then what he wanted was, wasn't enough. So, so then, then I'm like, hold on, I'll, I'll be a good dad. And I, I end up giving him a blackberry in, in the kitchen, and I give him two, and he has two of them in his hands. And, and then Aubrey and August run, and they see that he has a snack. So now they need to get a snack, and they're eating a snack. Desi's hands are still full, but he's peeking over from what he already has to see what other people has. And he says, I want more. I'm like, dude, you haven't even finished what you had, but he wants more. The opposite of generosity is saying, I need more than what I've been given. It's taking more than what you already possess. It's not being content with what you already have. So I'm fully convinced that we're not born generous, right? Generosity comes, here's, here's the solution. Generosity comes after a heart that beats with contentment. The only way you and I can be generous is once we understand a heart that is beating with contentment. The only way you can learn to give up the things that you have in your possession, the the resources at your disposal, the only way you become a person that is willing to give things up is after your heart has been beating with contentment. I got a a cute little video I want to show you that, that illustrates this point perfectly. Let's watch that. That's cute, isn't it? I just want to give that kid a hug. Oh my gosh. There's something inside of us that is drawn to that. Uh, Here's what I'm I'm, I'm fully aware of. That when God's children behave in the same manner, when we see a situation that is lacking, and we come to understand that in our disposal is is tons of resources that he's already given us, and, and we choose to share with others that God in heaven looks down and says, oh, God wants us to be generous people. Do you want to overflow with thankfulness? Learn the heart of beating contentment that leads to generosity. Today, we're going to look at a scripture. It's a parable of Jesus. And parables are are short stories with with heavenly truths where where Jesus would give an illustration, a story, a hypothetical story, and in it uh, is a beautiful heavenly message. Today, we're going to look at one of the most difficult parables that we could ever find. It's only in one gospel. It's in Luke chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles or if you are using YouVersion or following along with any Bible app, go go ahead and go to Luke 16 out of the New Living Translation. Let's read this parable together, and we're going to see why it's a a difficult parable to understand, and hopefully through the context of the story and the culture in which Jesus was speaking, we'll come to understand the, the, the message that he's trying to convey, a message of generous living, how it's better to be generous than it is to be someone who is discontent. Let's go ahead and read this together. Luke 16, verses 1 through 9, it starts with this, Jesus told his, this story to his disciples. So remember that. The, the, the audience are disciples, followers of Jesus. Jesus told the story to his disciples. And he continues on. He says, there was a, a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Pause really quick. Let me give you some context. So in this story, there is a man who owns a plot of land. Now in this time, it was, it was 
part of the culture where someone who owned thousands and thousands of acres would end up bringing someone else in to oversee the affairs of that land. It's not like today where if you have a boss, you see your boss probably every single day. They, they, they have conversations or at least someone that you directly report to. In this situation, in this culture, it was quite different. It was a, a land that an owner had and he hired someone to be the manager of all of that property to make every single decision to, to decide whether or not something is sold to decide how much it's going to be sold for. So every decision is, is, is a part, the responsibility of the manager and the owner maybe sees him once a year, maybe. So this is the relationship that we see here. So there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came to the manager or came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this that I hear about you? You're you're, you're wasting what I've given under your disposal. You're not taking care of adequately the things that I've put in your possession. I'm the owner. You're the manager. You're not operating the way you should be operating. You're not living to the values of of the organization that I'm trying to build here. And he says this, get your report in order, meaning tie up the books, finish up some loose ends, Because, he says, you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm I'm too proud to beg. Can we we just pause there for a second? Uh, This dude wants to be manager, and yet he can't even dig ditches, and he's too proud to beg. Have you seen that that cat meme recently where where there's that that crying lady, and she's like pointing, and then there's like the cat who's just like retorts with something like passive aggressive? Well, for some reason, when I was reading this passage, that's all I could think of where where the girl's like, I want to be manager, and the cat's like, you can't even dig ditches, and you're too proud to beg, right? Like, like how are you going to be a manager if that that is your character? Here we see the the poor character of, of the manager. He's too proud to beg. And he says this, ah, an aha moment. He says, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss their situation. He asked the first one, hey, how much do you owe the owner? And the man replied, I I owe him 800 gallons of oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill, change it to 800 bushels. Verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd or cunning. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, if if we read this with a 21st century Western mindset, we are befuddled. We're like, wait, how, what? what? The guy stole money and he was a bad manager and then he made some bad deals. and, And why would the manager look admiringly at Or why would the owner look admiringly at the manager? It doesn't add up, especially when you come to the realization that in this story, the symbolism is this, that that we are the manager and God is the owner. Why would God look uh, 
admirably at us if we were making poor deals and mismanaging even more, like doing what already fired us. Well, it's because we don't understand the context, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, but before we do, let me just bring up some observations that we can see in this text. The first observation we see in the text is this. Jesus has tough talks with the people he loves. Remember earlier, I made the point, remember that he's talking to the disciples. He's trying to teach his disciples on generosity. It's one thing if he was talking to the Pharisees who already been proven to be individuals who weren't generous, but here he is talking, having a difficult conversation with his disciples. Can I just say something? When you love God, when you're someone who gets close to God, he will have difficult conversations with you. God is so concerned in shaping you and molding you to become the person he's created you to be that he's willing to have difficult confrontational conversations. We said last week encouragement isn't sugarcoating things and and telling lies just to make people feel better about themselves. Encouragement is telling truth but doing it in love. And here we see Jesus loves his disciples and that this message of generous living is something that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, is something, no matter where we find ourselves on this paradigm of generosity, God's desire is for all of us to even increase with generous living. So the first, thing, the first observation is Jesus has tough talks with the people he loves. The second one is this. Jesus will one day hold every person accountable. You see, at, at the heart of this parable we see the owner bringing in the manager to give an account for how he has been handling the resources he had been entrusted in with. Uh, Can I just say this? There will come a day when we all meet God face to face, whether you believe him or not, this day is happening, and you will have to give an account for everything you did, good or bad. And we also know this, that that we are going to have to give an account for every decision we made, We're going to have to give an account for how we spent our lives. Did you fill your life with entertainment and just sit back and relax? Were you just living for the weekend? Were you just living for that next moment where you can just relax? Or were you someone who, yes, enjoyed the the goodness of life? Yes, you enjoyed vacation. Yes, you enjoyed your family. But but you understood that every single moment of work was was to be implemented to to the advancement of the purposes of Jesus. We will all one day be held accountable. If you check out 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it explicitly says that one day we will all stand and face judgment. Now, judgment can happen in one of two ways. If you know Jesus, that judgment looks differently. He's not going to say, hey, uh, this is heaven or hell. No, when you know Jesus, you better believe that there is nothing because when the righteousness of God is poured on us, now God sees not us but Jesus. But even Christians will be judged. And what does that judgment look like? He's going to say this, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you grab hold of every opportunity to advance my purposes? Or did you allow things like fear and selfish ambition and vanity to keep you from accomplishing what I called you to do? So one day, and I'm bringing this up because I love you, you're like, Pastor, it's Thanksgiving week. Why are you talking about judgment? <laughs> can, can I just say this? This is, this is why God, parents, if I can just talk to you for a moment, this is why God has called us to teach our kids honor 
respect and to hold them accountable because the reality is we are not merely preparing them for school and for work and, and for to one day be a good husband and wife. We're not just preparing for them for that. We are preparing them for judgment day. And if they don't come to understand the authority of you as their parent, their, their earthly authority, how will they ever submit themselves when they are old enough to a higher authority, a godly authority? So, so the, the authority that God has entrusted to you as a, as a parent is a, a, a lesser authority that we see, but it's still an authority that God has given us. We are teaching them to submit to authority because we're trying to teach them to submit to God. Literally, when, when, when you discipline, you are telling your child, I'm doing this because I want to see you in heaven, kid. I'm literally spanking the hell out of you. <laughs> literally, that, that's quite literally what you're doing. Don't, don't beat them. Don't beat your children. Your pastor's not saying, spoil the rods, you know, smack the child. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But, but this, even, even in scripture, it says that God disciplines those who he loves. He, he, he disciplines. He disciplines. And discipline doesn't mean you, you're browbeating and you're, you're, you're physically striking. Discipline, it means you're, you're, you're rearing. You're coming from behind and, and guiding and directing. But we are preparing them for judgment day. We're teaching them submission and honor and humility. So, so keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on, keep on. So Jesus will one day hold everyone accountable. And, and the third observation is this, and this is the, actually correlated to the text. So here's, here's the big takeaway. It's better to rent than it is to own. Now, before you leave this place and you put your house for sale and you say, well, we might as well become renters, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying go sell your car and pick up a lease. Like, like we know that financially, it, it makes more sense if you can do it. It makes more sense to own. It makes more sense to, to own your home than, and own your vehicle than it is to lease or to rent in many ways. Uh, but but, but I, I'm, I'm not at one point suggesting that, that you need to sell anything. What I am saying is that God's desire for us is to take a renter's point of view. To, to realize that everything in our possession, we are just managing it. We are, we are just overseeing it. You see, there, there is a, a, a mental shift that goes from owner to manager. When you're the owner, you make every single decision. But when you're the manager, you wait to hear the desire of the one who is the owner. And I would say this, with everything that we have, everything that is in our disposal, every dollar in your bank account or in your pocket, everything that you have in your possession, if you went and shifted your mindset from saying, I'm owner, to thinking, I am manager, God begins to trust you with more and more. Here's the truth. If God is not owner of everything you possess, listen to this, if God is not owner of everything you possess, you will eventually become possessed by everything you own. We need to be individuals who recognize and understand that everything in my disposal I'm renting it. Yeah, it's, it's the greed that you earned, absolutely. You, you definitely went to that interview and you were the one who, but, but you know what? God is the one who's given us the ability to do all things. So I shift my mindset from, from owner to manager, from owner to renter, and God is the owner. How do you know if you're possessed by the things you own? I wrote down here, I said, this is how you know you're possessed by the things that you own. When you base decisions on protecting your assets instead of promoting the kingdom. When you base all of your decisions on, on how is this gonna fare for me financially versus what is God calling me to do? You know, when you follow God, there will come moments where he calls you to do things that, that your financial advisor would say you're crazy. I, you know, I, I still remember that one of the first times we met with a financial advisor, 
We were just out of college. We had tons of student loan debt. And, and, and I remember this financial advisor said, well, let, let's see what you have with, your, with the excess uh, uh, income that you have. Uh, and he's looking at it. He's like, we've got to tackle this, this, this student loan. And he looks and he, he's checking. He's looking at our budget. And there was a line item at the very top of our budget that said tithe. And he's like, what's a tithe? I'm like, oh, um, well, we give 10% of our, of our income. And we, we give it back to the church that we go to. Uh, and he's like, wait, what, Why? And I'm like, oh, because Malachi says, would you steal from God? Would you rob God? And I just like, gave him a sermon. And, uh, but, but that made no sense. So there's going to be moments where, where, where God is calling us to make things that are contrary to what the world would say. But can I say that is the result of understanding who is the owner? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just the, the renter. I'm just the manager. And the moment we view ourselves as the owner and make decisions that are contrary to the heart of God... Boy, that's not where we want to be. We close ourselves up to the blessing and favor of God. This is how you know you're possessed by your things. You know you're possessed by things when you're enslaved to chasing status and climbing up the corporate ladder rather than chasing the heart of your Savior and stooping down to serve others. When you come to realize that you are the manager and not the owner, you will find that serving others comes easier you will come to find that you're not chasing status, you're chasing the heart of God. Oh, that we would be a church that is full of renters and managers. You see, that this is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 24, that it is easier for a camel to enter or to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. God in this situation, Jesus is not saying, well, if you've got more than this amount of money, then it's going to be hard for you to get to heaven. You're, you're, you're going to have to work twice as hard. He is not saying that. God is not predispossessed to or inclined towards loving the, the poor more than he is loving the rich. He is an equal opportunity God. He loves everybody. But what this passage is, is, is explicitly teaching is this, that the more you have, the more likely you are to view yourself as owner and when you view yourself as owner, the harder it is for you to trust into the things that you have been given to entrust them into the hands of God. So here we see God saying, the best thing you can do, rich or poor, no matter where you find yourself on the economic status, because the reality is this, there's people who are richer than us and there's people who are poorer than us. So God is focused on you. The best thing you can do is say this, God, everything I own is being rented. You're the true owner. The car that I drive the house that I live in, even the children that you've given me. God, everything is yours. And it pleases me to be considered a, a manager of what you've given me. Your hands become open to God. And not only is he able to take things away, but when your hands are open, he's able to pour out blessing, which is quite literally what he says at the end of this parable. He goes on to say, those who have been trusted with little will they not be entrusted with much more? And those who can't be trusted with little, what they have will be taken away from them. The greatest thing you can do going into this holiday season and Black Friday, which is coming. I see some of you already sampling, stamping and circling your, your, your ads. The best thing we can do is say this, Lord, you're, you're owner of it all. You're, and you better believe I'm gonna be out there at 3 a.m. But God, you're owner of it all. I gotta get that, that, that Frozen 2 Ice Castle for $79 at Walmart. <laughs> but no, notice the wrong attitude of the manager. First he says, I'm the owner. 
Then he never even repents or asks for forgiveness. Did you pick that up in the story? He never asks for forgiveness. He never repents. He, he never even admits his fault. He's already thinking of, how do I get out of this situation? And then he even says he's too good for digging ditches, and he's too good for, for begging on the street. So, so here we see just the, the poor attitude of the manager, but then something, even in the response that he did take, there is a quick reversal. He says this, I need to make friends who will take care of me and give me a place to live. So what does he do? Now, if, if you're reading this passage the way I used to, you would have looked at him and, and he brings people in. I mean, look at this passage, look what he says. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer, the owner, to come in and discuss their situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And he brings up, he says, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. How much is that? In this context, it would have been the equivalent to three years wages. You owe the manager three years of your wages. So he tells him, he takes the guy, he says, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Now, if you're reading this the way I used to read it, you'll be saying, whoa, he's ripping off the owner. But that's not what he's doing. You see, in the context of the story, it was normative for the manager of the owner's property to raise the, a bit of what the profit should have been, to, to increase the cost a little bit, because that's how he got paid. He would skim off the top. And, and it was custom, it was, it was a practice to raise it just a little bit so that you would have some to live on. But you know what he is doing? He is charging twice the amount. And he's skimming the profits, and the owner has no idea. The owner knows that it costs $400. The manager is raising the price, and here he's saying, let's cut that price in half. Instead of saying, hey, come in, it's time to pay up, he's saying, what do you owe? I'll give you the fair market value. This is what you truly owe. So this manager is having a, a shift of heart. He brings up the other guy. He says, how much do you owe your manager, or how much do you owe the owner? And he says, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. Again, if we were to study that, I broke it down. I saw what, how much 1,000 bushels of wheat. Again, it's three years wage. He breaks it down to 16 months of payments, and he says this. Okay, take that. You now only owe him 800 bushels. This is why we see in verse 8, it says the rich man, who is symbolic of God, literally master, had to admire the previously dishonest rascal for being so shrewd for being so cunning, for being sharp. He was being generous. Instead of saying, let me get what I can get in these last few moments, he had a shift in mindset and said, let me give back to these individuals. Let me cut what they owe. And hopefully the difference would allow me an opportunity to stay with one of them. Maybe, maybe they'll pay me back. And not just that, but know, know this, that by cutting the cost of what was originally owed, he is now allowing them to view the owner as kind and generous. So this manager had a shift of heart. I mean, it, it's kind of a beautiful story. You see, because in the Old Testament, it was illegal to charge interest. Did you know that? Uh, it's called usury. It's, it's illegal to charge interest to a, to a fellow to a fellow Hebrew. And look, look what it says in Deuteronomy 23, 19. It explicitly says multiple times, but here's one. It says this, do not charge your brother interest on money, food, or any type of loan. No, I'm not telling you to call up the mortgage and the student loan company and say, eat it. <laughs> like, like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to do that. 
But what this man was once doing that was breaking the law, and how many of you wish that? How many of you wish that just the interest would be gone? Well, Jesus, please. In the name of Jesus, I receive it. All the interest is gone. It was illegal to charge interest, and that is exactly what the manager was doing. The owner had no idea, but the manager was raising the interest. And now he's having a shift in heart, and he's saying, okay, I'm going to wipe away the interest. The big takeaways from this passage is this. The first one, God's desire for you is to be someone who views themselves as manager, even over the things that you own in your possession. View yourself as manager and allow him to be the owner. The second takeaway is this. And this is where we see the gospel of Jesus. The manager wiped away partial debts. When we go to the owner, when we go to Jesus, he wipes away our every debt. The manager just simply said, hey, I'll give you 50% off of what you owe, and the other guy, I'll give you 20% off of what you owe. But when we go to Christ and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner and I've got the debt of sin over my life, when we come to him, you know what he does? He wipes clear the slate of our sins and transgression. He wipes away every single debt. And I can't help but see across the church that there are men and women who have gone to Christ to pay the debt of our sins, and yet we still try to say, no, let me pay for some of it. Friend, you can't pay a thing. Only Christ can cancel the debt of your sin. Only he has the resources enough to pay and wipe away the debt of our sins. I mean, we see in Scripture in Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15, it says this, that you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, here is that cosmic transaction, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins, past, present, future. Every single sin has been wiped away. It's not just saying up until that very point, every sin before that point was wiped away, and in the future, you're going to have to figure it out and go to church and and make sure you you work your way and eventually cry enough and, and plead enough. And No, he's saying every single sin has been wiped away. When I look out, I see anybody who's accepted Christ. God in heaven sees people who have been completely cleared of all of their sin. Friend, you have been saved by grace. And if you walk into church this morning saying, hey, I'm afraid that these, these walls are going to fall in on me, let me tell you, um, God can wipe away every debt. He wipes away every debt. So much so, he says this, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly parading them for the city to see. That is our Savior. That is our Jesus. The manager wiped away partial debt, but Jesus wipes away every debt. So from this context, right, the the manager wasn't stealing from the owner. He was saying, I'm going to be fair here. I'm going to be the manager I should have been. And in a last-ditch effort, he's trying to write the record. And this is why we see in that passage in verse 9, Jesus say, here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources. 
Because notice, notice that he says resources. He doesn't say possessions. He says resources. What do you do with resources? You invest them to make other things better. He's saying here, use your resources. Everything you have, view them as resources to benefit others and make friends. Now, some people would take this and say, is God saying to buy our friends? Like, hey, I, I really want, to, I want you to be my friend. Here, here's an Apple Watch. Like, no, no, he, he's not saying that. The, the word friend there is, a, is, is, is literally an uh, idea of, of friendship in heaven. How do we know that? Look what, look, what, look what it says. Then, look at this transition. Then, when your possessions are gone, they, the people that you were giving to, will welcome you to an eternal home. Will welcome you to an eternal home. We're going to take our Convoy of Hope one day offering here in a bit. And we're going to be giving to children you and I will never, quite possibly will never even meet. But you know what I'm convinced of? That one day when we see the Lord face to face and we're in the presence of God surrounded with men and women, brothers and sisters of every tribe, tongue, and nation, that there will be people that run up to us on that day and say, because of your sacrifice, because of what you gave, it made a clear path for me to come here. Let's go ahead and watch this. Eight million children. Eight million children a year die due to poverty-related causes. Hunger is the number one cause of death in the world. In fact, it kills more people than malaria, HIV, AIDS, and tuberculosis combined. According to one CNBC report in 2019, it said this, that the average American spends $163 a day. Now, it's not saying out of your wallet comes $163. It's essentially saying the amount of expenses you make just for the cost of living, food, shelter, utilities, cell phone, like all these bills, no matter where you find yourself on the economic ladder, the reality is that in average, we spend about $163.50 to be exact a day. Yet half of the world lives on less than $5 a day. The heart of our God is not to cause that to be guilt. He's, he's not trying to allow you to be guilty in this place. He's, if anything, he's trying to get you to this place where instead of feeling guilty, you feel generous. Where you recognize that I, I'm blessed no matter where I am, no matter how much I have or currently don't have, the reality is I am blessed and I too am blessed to be a blessing. I know we find those statistics disparaging. They're difficult to swallow. And again, the, the response isn't guilt. The response should be action, generosity. I'm so thankful for Convoy of Hope that we can be partnered with an organization that believes in, yes, feeding children and, and teaching them and building schools and raising up orphanages, but preaching the gospel that they meet the physical need and the spiritual need. I'm so thankful that we can partner with them. And today, we get an opportunity to join in on that partnership and to give to this Convoy of Hope one-day offering. What's a one-day's wage for you? 
in the grand scheme of things, giving that up won't cost us much. But it will promise a child somewhere everything. Convoy of Hope is an incredible organization. It costs approximately $123 to feed one child for a year. Your one-day offering can change their lives. And here's what I love about Convoy. They don't just send food. They are on the ground teaching and equipping. You've heard the adage, give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. Teach them how to fish, you'll, you'll feed them for a lifetime. They are literally on the ground partnering with them, teaching them skills of how to uh, better increase labor and agriculture. They are teaching these children who are going to then feed the community. We are partnering with the community, an organization that doesn't just throw money at a problem. They, they get down and they are breathing life into the situation. Can you partner with us today? I mean, at the beginning of the year, in fact, it's been over a year since I've been to Haiti, and I saw exactly what the Convoy, Convoy of Hope was doing, and I got to see these children who are just full of life and full of joy, who have no parents, and the only love they get is, is from the pastors and the teachers that are living with them on that orphanage, visited multiple children, multiple orphanages. I got to see the direct impact. And when I heard the vision that they were casting, the video said they feed 160,000. That was last year. Year to date, as of right now, that number has jumped to 200,000 children. And their goal is for 250,000 next year. I'm believing that MWC will be a part of increasing that number. And we're going to love children that we may never meet until we get to heaven. And they run up to us and say, you're giving made a way for me to, yes, to be fed, but to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me pray over this offering, and let me pray over every single one of you in this place. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you are a good God, a God who cares for us, a God who loves us, a God who, who provides every need that we will ever have. And Father, we are thankful that you have given us so much but Father, may we not be individuals who view ourselves as the owners of everything. May we instead be people who consider ourselves as simply managers of what you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that although the manager wiped away partial debts, that you are the God who wipes away every debt. And thank you that we have an opportunity this morning to allow our, our thank tanks to overflow with generosity by simply giving a day's wage. Now, Lord, I know that there are people in this place who maybe they're caught by surprise. Maybe this is something that just landed on their laps, but you're doing something right now in them. You're speaking to their heart. Maybe they, they, they're saying, I, I, just, I just can't do it. May they take a step in faith today and trust you. But Father, regardless of what is given, I pray that you bless us for giving. Maybe we can't, quite literally can't do a full day's wage. Maybe we can only do a half day's wage or whatever that may be. We pray we'll be faithful with that. And Lord, if there's someone in this place who's like saying a, a full day's wage is easy, maybe they're contemplating a week's wage, whatever that would be. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased just the same because we're doing this because we want to love the people in this world 
who go hungry. We want to save lives. We want to show them the love of Christ. We want to celebrate with them in heaven. You've been generous to us. Help us be generous with others. May our hearts beat with contentment. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Hey, friends, as those offering buckets go around, I'm going to show you this one last video. Let's watch this last video. Can we thank God this morning for all that he's done? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, friends, as we dismiss, I just want to let you know that we are going to go ahead and and keep this window open. I already organized it with the convoy. I said, hey, we'll, we'll take our offering this week, but we'll leave it open for an entire week. If you're in this place and you're just like, you know what, I I could use a little extra time, and I do want to give. Let, let me just encourage you. The, the window is still open. Um, you could even text to give. You can text one day to this number, 44321, and that is our personal number. You can send that to the church and mark it one day, and we will include that offering to the one-day offering that we send in next week. You can also give online. If maybe you got to work some things together and figure things out, that's fine. Go ahead and take the time. But we're going to keep the window open for a week to give our one-day offering. And next week, we're going to celebrate what we had done. Amen? God bless you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. Take care. And that wraps up today's message. But we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.